welcome to your 2017 Voices of Experience. This is David Newman. I am serving as your humble host for a year of exciting, business-building, speech-enhancing, platform-dominating ideas, strategies, tactics, templates, tools, super smart guests. This year on VOE is all about you, the professional speaker, or as we like to say, experts who speak professionally. So many great ideas, so many smart guests. I hope you're ready. Let's get right to it. I am here with Barry Banther, CSP, and we're talking about packaged consulting services. Barry, welcome. Thank you, David. Talk to us about how can speakers, trainers, workshop leaders who don't consider themselves consultants, how can they get up the courage to say, here's a big, beautiful consulting package. Let me help you on a bigger, deeper level. Well, the first thing, David, you've got to stop looking in the mirror. Get the mirrors out of your office. Because if all I'm doing is speaking, or all I'm doing is writing, or all I'm doing is coaching, I look in the mirror and see the same reflection. And I want you to replace the mirror with a window. And through that window, I want you to see your client. I want you to see their employees. I want you to see the issues they're dealing with. And then ask yourself this question. What is my expertise? My expertise is not speaking. My expertise is not coaching. My expertise might be leadership. My expertise might be helping people communicate better. My expertise might be helping people to market themselves better. What's the expertise? And looking through that window, look at all the opportunities in that organization, that company, that client, where they need that expertise. Don't think about the platform you're going to deliver it on. Don't think about whether it's a speech or training. At first, just look at all the opportunities for what your expertise is, that unique wisdom you bring, can be received and applied and get a good result, a good ROI for that client. Start there. That's how you first get the courage is to recognize they need what you have in many more venues than you've been offering it. I love that. And, you know, the soundbite, I think, is that we're not professional speakers. We're professional problem solvers. Exactly. Exactly. Very few people woke up this morning and said, I have just got to find me a speaker before the day's over. Exactly right. So let's say that you find an opportunity, you're, you're converting your mirror into a window, you see some juicy opportunities to help a client on a much bigger, deeper level, but then I think the immediate next fear is, oh my gosh, I'm in over my head. I'm not really quite sure that I can deliver what I promised. How do I know when to say yes and when to say no? Well, you always say yes if they have a check in their hand. <laughs> no, here's the real answer that I've found in my career. We're in a great association. It's highly unlikely that you'll see something that is a problem that can't be helped by you and you partnering with or leveraging with another member of NSA. So don't hesitate to say, I have a colleague that can help us with that. Let me get back to you shortly. And so if you see an issue, then you can get a hold of that colleague and say to that colleague, look at this, maybe we can partner on this. Today, I find more and more opportunities to collaborate with fellow NSA members around the same client, and I have the opportunity to do that for them. I can reciprocate that back for them. And so it provides the opportunity for the client to see I'm more than just a solopreneur. I bring a team of experts, and even though we may have a similar topic, they may be better at communicating 
communicating that topic generationally. They may be better at writing about that topic. One of the things I've done when I've found in an organization that they want much more blogging by me, I'll partner with a really good blogger in NSA. It'll be my voice, their words, and we'll do that together. So yes, if they're willing to write a check. Uh, no, if they're not willing to write a check, and no, if you can't partner, but there's always that opportunity to leverage with a partner within our association so that together you can do more for that client. Barry, I love what you're saying because what I'm hearing is that we shouldn't say no, we should simply say not me alone. Exactly. Not exactly me right. alone. That's a very good way to put it, Dave. And as we look at each other and our various degrees of expertise and our various abilities to deliver in different modes, each of us can be an instant profit center right. for each other. Right. Love that. So let's talk about let's talk about profit. Let's talk about how do we even get our heads around the pricing and and if we're used to getting X number of dollars for a speech, many many multiples of that for a big juicy consulting project, especially if it includes other people. How do we start to break down what that should be priced at? Well, and it's not new, and many people in our association have spoken and written about it, but it comes down to seeing the value you're bringing to the client. You deserve, we deserve when we do this work, to receive a return that represents a portion of the value that they're going to receive. Now, here's what that requires of us. I have to spend a lot of time looking through that window and asking myself if I help them improve this management situation, if I help them improve this sales opportunity, if I help them get better at marketing, what's that going to mean to them? And it forces me to put some quantitative measure on the work that I do. Once you discover that, that you're going to help reduce retention by 20% or you're going to increase sales by 15%, now you're able to talk with the economic buyer and make a case for, I'm going to help you achieve 6x, and for that, I get 1.5x. So you're pricing it not based on your time, not based on the event, not based on the venue, not based on the tool. It's based on the return on investment and the reasonable portion of that that you should receive as the expert who's helping to make that happen. So it's all about moving the needle on their results and really breaking down that return on investment. And Exactly right. And I've had colleagues over the years, sometimes younger folks who've come into this business, who'll say, well, I don't know how to quantify it. You shouldn't be doing it if you can't quantify it. And none of us know initially how to do that. So get busy looking. Ask questions. Talk to the CFO. Talk to the economic decision maker. Ask questions like, well, if you're not able to solve this problem or if you're not able to get better in this, What's the cost? And they'll begin to tell you. The client will tell you what that cost is. You just have to do the work to discover that. Then you can reasonably position yourself as having earned a portion of that increase in value. And when we talk to prospects about their problems, I think one of the magic questions is, can you put a number on it? Mm -hmm. Can you put a number on it? Can you put a number on it? Can you put a number on it? So as we're gathering these numbers, that's how we build the case for our ROI calculations? So it's a little bit of a dance because what I'm doing is I'm causing that client, that prospect, some pain. So David Newman is my prospect, and I'm saying, David, well, if we don't solve this problem, what's the cost going to be? And David will say, well, we'll continue to have a a retention rate of only about 25%. And when you only have 25%, what's that costing you in hard HR? What's it costing you in supervision? I have to help my client keep realizing this is more painful than I thought. Now, you've got to be careful at a certain point. You have to turn from revealing their pain and start reviewing the possibility of how you can help them solve that pain. And it takes a little while to learn when you have to make that move, but it's a bit like asking that favorite girl to marry you. Don't ask the question if you don't know the answer. And if you've done a good job in helping them identify the pain and now you've turned them toward the possible solution, the yes will already be there before you ask. 
So, first couple of baby steps for speakers, keynoters, trainers, people who like being in the front of the room. How do we get them the first couple of baby steps towards this packaged consulting model? So, if I'm a speaker only primarily, then I want to think about my left and right hand. So, I'm speaking. That's with my mouth. What could I do over here? Could I write for them in their in-house newsletters and their blogs and emails that they do? Could I take my spoken word and write? So, that's one thing my right hand could do. And on the left hand, on this side, could I come alongside and coach someone? Could I put my arm around someone and help them? So, just think about something on the left, something on the right. Just to try to have three things that you can bring to a client. Maybe it's speaking and coaching and writing. Maybe it's speaking and sales training and individual mentorship. Try to have three. Start with three. In my business, we've been able over many years, now we have over 40 different channels. We have 40 different hands where we can take our expertise and cascade it across that organization. But you get there one hand at a time. Have you heard the term social selling? Do you know what social selling is? How is social selling different than social media marketing? Heck, what's social media marketing? We don't know, but I'll tell you who knows. Corey freaking Perlman. All right, Corey Perlman, social media marketing rock star. Talk to us about the difference between social media marketing and this new kind of buzzword that we're starting to hear more of, social selling. Yeah, well, first of all, David, thanks for having me, man. Uh, Honored to be here with you uh, to talk about this a little bit. I would say, you know, social media marketing is kind of, you know, your business's message to many, um, whereas social selling would definitely be more uh, of an individual connection, taking people through the process, if you will, of meeting that potential client to building credibility with them, staying top of mind, and then eventually having the sale, and then having them as an advocate for you for future business. So I think that um, the biggest difference would be marketing is kind of the, I don't know if you want to call it the machine gun effect, if you will, versus the shotgun effect of, not not that you're trying to kill your uh, prospect, but it's probably a a violent example, but you get the point from one-to-many to to one-to-one. So give us a couple rules of thumb for social media marketing as you see it today. And then let's talk about zeroing in on maybe a specific corporation, association, group, meeting planner, and how that social selling campaign might unfold. But let's start. Let's start with the the new rules for social media marketing as we're talking right now. The new rules. Well, I'd say rule number one is um, you know beware the the shiny new penny syndrome. So a lot of talk right now is about uh, Snapchat, and I've been talking about this a lot in my uh, keynotes right now. And uh, you know the the seventy percent of that demographic is age 13 to 25. So the question is, um, is that your market? And if it's not, um, you know, why are you there? You know, and, uh, and not to mention the fact that Instagram, which is a little bit of an older market, more of a millennial market, say 35 to 25, um, is basically stealing every major feature that Snapchat comes out with. So one of the things I'm, I'm, recommending or encouraging people to do is to to be weary of the shiny new penny syndrome and to double down on the ones that make the most sense for your business. Because things are changing even in the major sites themselves. So LinkedIn, for example, just drastically changed everything about their interface. And so I'm excited about it because it's much more of a news feed type format now instead of a recruiting tool and a profile, you know, builder. It's more of a newsfeed similar to Facebook, status messages, things of that nature. Um, so more opportunity for you to be a, a publisher. Um, our opportunity as speakers to publish on a platform where our audience really is. 
um, executives, decision makers, economic buyers, and such. So, you know, there's, there, I, you know, I guess the the main focus here, uh, David, would just be to really focus. And I'll just give them to you: Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram are the three that I think people need to double down on. So let's talk about our buyers because I think one of the things that you always talk about in your books, in your seminars, is fish where the fish are. So when we say, well, you know, the demographic is 13 to 25, well, I don't think any of our meeting planners are 13, but certainly some of them are 25. Some of them might be 25, 27, right, 20s, 30s, and so forth. Uh, It's not not the 45 to 50-year-old association executive necessarily who you're going to have that first contact with. It might very well be a 20-something or a 30-something sort of meeting planner, conference producer, um, uh, less, you know, lower down association executive. So the myth is, I think, or the legend is B2B is all about LinkedIn. If you're doing B2C, you should be on Facebook. Is that hard and fast, or are these folks really everywhere, and it's just a question of how you prefer to connect with them? Or How do we decide? Because I know you, you say fish where the fish are, but let's break that down to how do I decide where to find my fish? Well, it, and it really actually, the social selling aspect, this is where it comes into play a little bit because I think for me – uh, and again, the, the nice thing about this audience is we're all in the same boat here, right? So when I talk about myself or my experience, it, it, it um, relates to those who are, are listening. And I would say, you know, for Facebook, it's a CRM model, uh, customer relationship management. You all know that. But um, and, and it's an opportunity for me to build relationships, a deeper relationship with uh clients as well as prospects. And it could be on my business page or on my personal page. A lot of it happens on my personal page. And so I will um, connect with a, whether it be a meeting planner or executive or sometimes even a, a bureau uh, rep. And um, just in the ma- nature of Facebook, our relationship deepens based upon what we learn about each other. They see I'm a dad. You know, I see that they are uh, passionate about um, you know, kayaking, you know, and that uh, they're, they're in Aruba right now for for spring break, you know, things of that nature that you just start to, you know, build that relationship with that I think means a lot, you know, in, in, the, in the future. I, I, I always share a story on my presentations that my largest client once called me up and said, you know, I just got to tell you, I love seeing you be a dad on Facebook, you know, and it means something to people, I think, to see the human side of who we are. LinkedIn, uh, I look at it as just such an awesome prospecting um, tool, not a cold calling tool. I'm not a fan of cold calling in general, but the ability to have your champion clients become your sales force. And to learn that if there is a meeting planner or an event or a decision maker that I am looking to connect with on LinkedIn, to know that David Newman is connected with that individual, that decision maker, and that I could reach out to David and say, hey, how do you know Stephanie Smith? Oh, I just did a presentation for a Corey Whitey Ask. Well, I'd love to, to be their next speaker. Would you mind teeing me up? And, you know, you and I do that for each other all the time. So I learned that from LinkedIn. So it's such a beautiful tool for uh, word-of-mouth marketing, which is something, as you know, uh, it is still has been in place since the beginning of sales. It's just used in a different way with LinkedIn. It's just extremely powerful. So I, I see these different platforms um, in, in, as different parts of the sale, which I think is really important. Yeah. Well, let's talk about your LinkedIn strategy because I think that is that always blows people's minds when they hear you speak or they read it in your book. So the, the tee up here is that you're using LinkedIn to get an x-ray vision into the relationships of people who already know you 
into people who do not yet know you but that you'd like to do business with. And then your methodology is to take that connection off of LinkedIn into the real world and make things happen. So break that down for us. Yeah, it's something I had to learn a few, not a few years ago, seven to ten years ago, uh, because I'm an awful cold caller. Um, I, I literally feel like I'm chewing glass when I talk about myself or my accolades or things of that nature. And so I had to figure out a different way. And um, what I learned is people like you, you know, if I literally could walk David Newman throughout every networking environment that I'm in and have him introduce me, I'd be a gazillionaire. Um, so how can I replicate that on social? And that's what LinkedIn is all about. I can literally uh, prospect on LinkedIn and see the people who are connected with the decision makers that I want to connect with. And then, uh, like you said, if I want to take it offline, I can call them or shoot an email. But what ends up happening is David Newman emails Stephanie Smith and copies me and starts out with, you have to meet Corey frickin' Perlman, and it goes from there. And, uh, man, I'll tell you, I wish I had one of those running totals, you know, of just the amount of commissions <laughs> of money that has been created from that particular strategy because, as you can see, it just makes sense. When you have people, uh, you know, advocate for you in terms of what your value is over you doing it yourself, it's just so unbelievably powerful. So this is almost like this is a strategy that is under everyone's nose right now. So if they were to go on to LinkedIn, I mean, let's give them a recipe. Let's let's turn off, turn off the audio, pull out the CD, stop listening to the podcast, tur- just stop what you're doing. Pull your stop. car over. Pull, pull your, your car, car over. over. Pull it over. <laughs> and go on to LinkedIn. Let's say find three. Find three specific meeting planners, conference producers, association executives, corporate executives that you would love to speak for their organization. And they have the right job title, right? They're a VP, they're the meeting planner, they're the executive director, etc. How do we find out who knows them and then talk about how we tee up that three-way email? Oh, wait, Corey, is that it? Oh my gosh. Well, but uh, I guess we'll see you next month. This is Jim Cathcart. This is Sierra Madro. This is Stacy Tetchner, and you are listening to Voices of Experience. Do you do a lot of media interviews? Would you like to do more media interviews? Jess Toddfeld, CSP, shows us five ways to turn interviews into business. All right, Jess, we're talking about five ways to convert interviews into business or business as they say in Texas. Business, right. Either way is acceptable. I'm ready. Number one. Number one, instead of just coming on and plugging our book or our business or, you know, buy my thing, we want to mention a free item. We want to give something away for free in an interview. And again, we're talking about TV, print, radio, and internet interviews, which could be blogs or podcasts or you name it. So what's our free item? It could be a top 10 list, I prefer strange numbers like 7 and 21 and all that, but it's whatever. It could be one of those. It could be some sort of specialty cheat sheet or something that you give to people of value that helps them, that gets them excited. That will get them to take a next step. So let's talk about that for a quick second because we're going to stay on number one just for a minute. Yes. In your experience, because people do this small, medium, large, and crazy, one-page cheat sheet – 97 page ebook, uh, you know, 10 minute video, three hour video. 
Have you noticed anything that converts better when we're thinking about what to mention during an interview as the giveaway? I mean, my main rule of thumb is something that's easily digestible so that they can say, oh, I want something else. Uh, it's, it's kind of like eating a meal. You don't want them to be so filled up. It was 87 pages, which they probably didn't read. And, you know, mm, I'm good. I don't need anything from you ever again. So I always want something that whets their appetite. That's worked best for me. So you want to give a snack and not a meal. That's it, okay. David Newman. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Number two way of converting interviews into business. Okay, so you gave away your free item, and they go to a web page that you set up, ideally something easy that's not a whole long address that's too hard to remember, and they opt in. So number two is opt in. We want to get them to give a name and email, and nowadays people can give a cell phone number, and that works too, and you can use whatever system you want to use, but use something. And this way you've converted the person from random person watching, listening, whatever, seeing your interview, to now you have their name and email address. And there was that exchange. You gave them value. And don't abuse it. What is step three? Step three is plug, but it not the way you think. So you're thinking plug usually means that you're forcing something into the interview and making it get in there. It's not that. It's, it's now an acronym. I've turned into an ac- acronym, which is Properly leverage your gift. I spelled your, you are, you know, you got to do that. So properly leverage your gift. So your gift was the free thing that you gave away. And this is what you are plugging during the interview, but you have to properly leverage it. So yes, you send it to them and you were just saying, well, do I send 12 more emails? Well, you don't send 12 more, but you do need to check in. Did they get that? Hey, I guess what? I have something else for you that you weren't even expecting that's of even more value. And hey, I want to invite you to this webinar. Hey, I want to show you this other cool thing. You really want to build on what you've done so that you can build this relationship. So properly leverage your gift. That's plugging during the interview and then after keeping it going. So that's that's automation. Those emails are already preset that when someone goes to that media-specific landing page, not only do they get the delivery of the goodie that people are signing up for, but you're saying that there's a very intentional follow-up sequence of emails that comes after that. Yes, just the very thought of not automating it makes me want to fall down during this interview, of sending each little thing out over and over. So you do want to get Uh, Whatever service you use, and on the top end, people use Infusionsoft, and there are ones that come with WordPress and all sorts of ones in between, that you can come up with that sequence, and you'll be able to send it out. And then you decide what happens next. I hate the word newsletter, not the word itself, but what people do to it. Uh, I have, I'm okay with language in general. Just when people send out, hey, this is just my newsletter. It's me just tooting my own horn. No, I don't like that. I want plenty of value and only send me what's really going to excite me. And those people who do that, I tend to stay on and watch and listen. And then at some point I end up buying and something happens. That's what we want for everybody else. So quick question, because I love this, and kind of the tactical nitty-gritty is so valuable. What do we call it if it's not a newsletter? Are there better, sexier names? Do we, do we call it like an inner circle subscription? Or how, how do we jazz that up? Yes, yes, and yes, uh, which is come up with something. I, I know I've seen things that you've put out, and I don't remember if it was you know a, a, a 
David's have a cup of coffee with David or any of those types of things. Whatever you call it, make it something interesting and different and exciting. Or, of course, if you put the value proposition and the benefits in the name of the newsletter, then even better. So that's the right way to do it. Fantastic. So now we're at the next tip. Number four, which is seed. So we want to plant seeds in the interview. By the way, nobody talks about this who's a media trainer like me. They always talk about body language and, you know, comb your hair and sit up straight, which is all nice. You should probably do those things, too. I don't need to comb my hair. He doesn't have to comb. You can still you can comb on the sides over there. But uh, we have to make sure that we are planting seeds throughout the interview about what it is that we do. So if we are plugging a book, we may say, wow, you know, I have a whole chapter on this. By the way, I do, David Newman. And now everybody is thinking, oh, well, he has some sort of book. And then usually what happens is the interviewer says, yes, in fact, and then they mention the book or whatever it is. And ideally, we want to plant little seeds about what we do or who we help in every answer that we give throughout the whole interview. So I, can I share one of my little insider secrets that I, yeah, I, I yeah, think yeah. You, you do? When you're doing an interview specifically to plug your book, yes. you never say in an interview, in my book, dot, dot, dot. You say, in my book, Media Secrets, we talk about this a lot. Or in the Media Secrets book, so you give the title of the book – you always give the title because someone might be tuning in in the middle of the interview. They might have missed the first part. So always mention the name of your book. Don't just refer to it as my book or the book. I'm going to tweak that slightly. If you always mention it, then what happens is people say, oh, I see what's happening. They're just being very self-promotional. And when you you should at least once, if not twice, mention the thing that you want to promote. could be your book. And it could be your business, whatever it is. But when you say it the other way, say if it's in television, I remember this when I was a TV producer, if you say, oh, I had a whole chapter on that, what I tell people is, then what we would do is we'd flash the cover of the book. Or another time the interviewer might hold up the book and say, yes, David is the uh, author of this book and you got to go and get it and, hey, let me ask you this other question. So you get them to promote for you, which is even better. And this, my friend, is why you are the media trainer and not me. (laughs) Number five. Number five. Number five is the call to action. And you need to have calls to action. So we know in our marketing material that we need to have calls to action. So it's not just, hey, everybody go out there, uh, open your wallet and go get my stuff, which is certainly nice but a little over the top. But they can be smaller calls to action like – Ask yourself this one question. Would it change your business if you had an interview of you and your local NBC affiliate right on your homepage for your business website? Hmm, yes, it would. And I'm saying that to the whole audience, and they're thinking that. That's a call to action. I got them to think. So we want to have little calls to action, again, in every answer that we give. So if I give a tip or a strategy, I'll say, so people listening, go try that. Do that one thing now. So people who are listening, if you are doing interviews, go do these things. Go do these things right now. That was a call to action. I love it. And again, every answer should really have one. And it takes practice and it takes 
a little bit of extra refinement to be able to get it right. Podcasting. Wow. Seriously? Podcasting? Isn't that old school? Is that still relevant? What's going on with podcasting? I'll tell you what. Podcasting is a great way to grow your speaking-driven business. John Garrett's going to tell us how. John Garrett, podcaster extraordinaire. Talk about how you first got into podcasting and why. I started podcasting originally because, uh, I guess, well, I was uh, in the process of writing a book. And so I thought, well, if I'm going to be interviewing people, uh, I need to record it. And if I'm going to record them, I might as well turn it into a podcast. And uh, and then it became, um, I'm not going to write that kind of book anymore. But the podcasts were really good research and uh, for the kind of book I was still going to do. And they were starting to get some traction out there. And it developed a little bit of a platform for me every week, uh, a different interview and, and what have you. And so then um, and then it became, hey, the people that I'm asking to be on the podcast are way more receptive than if I were to call them up and say, book me. <laughs> and so then it became, I could just invite people to be guests on my podcast, and it's like a Trojan horse where they let me in, and then it's over. And then, and then, they're, then they're dead. But, uh, you know, little do they know. Uh, so I invite them in, and then they, 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 they come on the podcast, and then in researching to, to go on, they go to my website, and then at the end of the call, they're like, hey, I noticed on your website you do keynotes. Well, as a matter of fact, I do. And then, uh, then they're like, well, maybe we should have you in sometime. I'm like, that'd be be a great idea. And, and then they feel like geniuses. And then, uh, yeah, it, it's it's led to directly to bookings and many, many leads. And um, yeah, it's been really fantastic. So quick sidebar, I, I want to get back to the marketing aspect of the podcast, which I love that you're doing. Did you have to do a whole big podcast launch? I think a lot of people don't want to get into podcasting because they're like, oh, it's another thing to market. It's another thing to drive traffic to. I have to be on the top 10 in iTunes, and I have to get people to review and rate my podcast. And It just sounds like a whole big bunch of other work. Did you find that to be right. true or, or no? Well, it, I mean, I think somewhere I read that uh, most podcasts don't go past episode five. So I thought, well, if I get episode six, then I'm killing it. And so, you know, I, I did read up a little bit on people that had suggestions on how to do a launch. I had three episodes ready to go. That way then it, that all released at the same time. So then when people listened to one, they liked it, they could do two more. And then iTunes is happy and things. So I was listed on new and noteworthy for a bit, um, which was neat. Um, but you also don't have to be in iTunes top 10. I mean, there are thousands or if not, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there. So there's only 10 in the top 10. Who cares? I mean, if you're number 11, you're not in the top 10, but you're still killing it. So, like, you know, just own your space and be you for, you know, be what your people need and then just share that and, and let it grow organically. You're not going to go from zero to top 10 in no time. So, you know, it's going to take a little bit to grow that. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I share my numbers with people uh, just to say, you know, hey, you know, I, you know, I'll get it early on, you know, 50 downloads or maybe 100 downloads, and you feel like, wow, that's not really a lot. But then podcast people will say, actually, that's pretty good. You know, like for a no name out of nowhere, you know, you have five episodes, you know, that's that's not too bad. And so you just work at sharing that. And I mean, for me, 
interviewing people was, I mean, the, the smartest thing I've ever done because now I have new people. They share it with all of their friends and coworkers and people that, that they know. And so, you know, hopefully then a handful of those people will glob on and subscribe and, you know, the snowball continues down the hill. And then before you know it, you're, you know, taking out whole villages and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Unsuspecting. So so let's talk about this because this virality component I think is very, very important. When you're done interviewing someone and it was a great yeah. interview and just so people know, you're a recovering CPA yes. and your keynotes and your customized humor presentations are specifically for the accounting industry. Yeah, for the most part. Accounting finance, and financial services. Yeah, and, that world. And, yeah. and, right. So you've got a guest, just did a home run interview. Do you ask that guest to think about two or three other people that would be great to have on the podcast? Uh, definitely. Um, you know, if not not necessarily right at the end of the call, if the call went well and it, and it, and it lends itself, then yes, I most certainly will. Um, but, but, you know, there, there are a couple of things that I will do is, is um, certainly ask them if – you know, sharing this message is something that makes sense at one of their firm events or a conference that they recently attended. And also, yeah, I mean, are there, you know, people that you know that I should also talk to, that I should hear their story? Um, and it, it's, it's a simple thing. It's just people that are known for a hobby or a passion at, outside of work, but people at work know about this, which in that accounting world is very, very rare. I mean, unfortunately. And if people want to hear you in action, of course, it's called the Green Apple Podcast. That's it right there. Done. Boom. Boom I'm out. Like, That's <laughs> it. Well, well, we're not going to let you go quite yet. So let's talk about when they don't necessarily say, hey, John, I went to your website. I see you're a speaker. Maybe you can come speak for us. If if they just say, hey, great interview, thanks, click, what's your follow-up strategy that would sure. also kind of bring them back into the web, so to speak? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, there's there are several touch points after that. Uh, we record, and then it's, hey, I'm going to launch your episode next week. Can I get some pictures for the show page? Uh, bio, what are some links that you want to share? Uh, things like that. And then, you know, when it comes out, I actually have an email. The subject line is, you're about to be famous, um, you know, type of thing. So it's kind of humorous. And then, uh, yeah, you know, feel free to share it with who you want. And then there's um, also on social media built in. And then three weeks after it hits, uh, I have a tweet that goes out uh, that'll say, hey, did you miss so-and-so on the Green Apple Pie? So then three weeks after. And then I also do this. I send them a $20 Amazon gift card uh, two weeks after the episode as a thank you for taking time to be with me on the show. And I know a lot of podcasts don't do that, um, but I come from the world of, you know, the comedy world. And, you know, you took time to be with me. So uh, the least I can do is give you a $20 gift card. And yeah, it costs me money, but the goodwill that's built up on that is, is huge. And, you know, when my book comes out, maybe you'll use that 20 theoretically to buy my book and uh, whatever. But either way, it's, I think it's a cool thing to do. And, 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 um, and plus, that's another touch point. That's, you know, so there's the episode drops and then there's, you know, two weeks after $20 and then there's the week after that another tweet. And then, you know, every six or eight weeks after that, just, you know, here's an article I read on Forbes or Inc. or whatever that relates to this subject. And then, uh, you know, or Happy New Year. How many marathons did you run last year or how many uh, whatever it is that you do? You know, just a reason to stay in touch. And now I have like an army of people that are like, you know, a, a tribe, if you will, that they that they refer to. Um, but 
yeah, I mean, it's, it's a cool thing to, to have. And it takes time and it's slow going, but you build it and it's so strong that, you know, it's like building a foundation for a skyscraper that you can go as high as you want if that foundation is really strong, where if you quick sand it and, you know, just quick crete and whatever, then, you know, you get about three stories up, it starts to fall over um, type of thing. So That's my speaking career right there. Right. <laughs> yeah, that, that's pretty much how that started. Right. So final final tips, things that we should know if we're going to get into podcasting, both as a content strategy, a book promotion strategy, a supplement and a complement to our speaking business as far as prospecting. What are a couple of just quick final tips? Yeah, I mean, I think you just, just do it. I mean, you know, just do it. And if it's not good, then start over. I mean, you know, unless you're famous, no one cares. I mean, no one's going to know. You can erase it all and you can just start over. I mean, like, Really, I mean, it, it's. I mean, I it just. I'm the most risk averse person out there as a CPA and and everything else. It's built into every gene in my body, uh, and yet you just throw yourself out there, and it's been amazing the good that's come of it. Um, so you know, just throw yourself out there and do it. And if it's not good, you can change the show as you go on, or you just erase, scrap it all and start over. Uh, absolutely, you got nothing to lose. Yo, Vinny Varelli here, and this is Voices of Experience. Here's the first part of my interview with the amazing and awesome Lori Guest, CSP, helping us zero in on specific buyers. And by the way, I hope you like fish and chips. All right, I'm here with Lori Guest, one of my favorite human beings. Let's talk about prospecting and specifically zeroing in on your exact buyers. What are some tips and tricks that you have for us? I am going to share with you the three best ways to zero in and get it done. And I call them Circle 100, Adjacent Selling, and Chip and Fish. Those all have really cool names, I got to say. So let's start with Circle 100. Right. So this is Sales 101. So anybody listening that's done a lot of sales is already trying to hit the fast forward button and skip past me. But they need to stop. Stop. Stick around because we're going to zero in. And it's true for emerging speakers as well as veterans who've been around a long time. When they look at their calendar, it's just not as full as they want it to be. Go back to basics. And Circle 100 is a basic. Here it is. You make a list of 100 people who know you and like you. And people you're related to don't count unless they're in a position of influence. So if your wife's second cousin is the second in command at Sears, he can go on the list. But grandma probably doesn't. Make sense? Yeah. All right. Now, when I say make a list, I don't just mean jot down their names. I mean go to the work of finding out their contact information. So their mailing address, their phone number, their email address, which takes some work. You get that together, and you're going to get ready to send out information to them on something's new, something that's new about you, uh, a new program you're doing, some reason why they would want you. And it's a targeted postal mailing or a targeted email, and that targeted mailing ends in a question. We don't end by, would you be so kind uh, to give me a call? Great to see you or great to connect with you. we got to end this in a question, which studies have shown increases the odd that they will, odds that they will at least respond to you. And are we going to get this question, Lori Guest? Are we going to find out what this magic question is at the end of that piece of communication? We might. We'll see how it goes. 
<laughs> okay. So this sounds very similar to what the smart advice is when you're looking for a job. Right, you're looking for a job. If you're a corporate employee, we might remember when we're back when we were corporate employees. Okay, you just got laid off. You just got fired. You just quit. Find the 100 people who know you, love you, and might be in a position to help you. And as speakers, guess what? We're looking for jobs. So it sounds like the same strategy, yes? It is the exact same strategy, and you're going to show yourself in the best light. So if you have bought a new suit. To go for that job interview, will you rebranding your website and freshening yourself up just a little bit? It's the same version as you getting a new suit when you went for the job interview. So I actually think that's a pretty good, pretty good example. And so in my case, my background was in eye care ophthalmology. So if I'm creating my Circle 100, I'm not just going to go to the eye industry. That's a little too broad. Instead, I would pull out the AAO, you know, the American Academy of Ophthalmology. I would go to Ascris, the American. Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgeons. We've got to not, we, can, we just can't have these broad sweeping, I'll go to such and such industry. We have to drill down who specifically would care about my expertise or, or what I have to share. Make and sense? I think uh, absolutely it makes sense. I think a lot of people say, well, I'm targeting the banking industry. And you say, well, can you show me 10 people that you'd like to meet? And they go, uh, but, uh, but, and they just don't know. So you can't market to an industry. You have to market to specific decision makers in specific organizations that, like you just said, have a name and a face and a voice and an email address and a LinkedIn account and a, a phone number and a street address. So specific prospects are the only ones who will ever buy from us. I believe that to be true, and the more that they like you, the more likely they are to buy from you. So I know that cold calling, a lot of people believe in that. That's wonderful for me. I would rather pick up the phone and connect with somebody who I'm already on their radar rather than opening up a book and calling a stranger. And that's where Circle 100 comes into play. So in the insurance industry, I guess in financial services, we call this your warm market. Mm-hmm. People. So that's the opposite of your cold market where you're a stone cold stranger. These are people that have already had some sort of experience of you, maybe not as a paying client, but they would know your name, perhaps even recognize you on the street. Exactly. And I want to give a pushback to anybody who's still listening that's a veteran speaker who thinks, okay, this is really elementary. My pushback is, when's the last time you did it? Or how full is your calendar? Exactly. And so a lot of times I'll be in a discussion with somebody over coffee and they'll say, gosh, you know, I've been doing this 15 years and all of a sudden my calendar is just not as busy. What's going on? And I always ask, when's the last time you touched your Circle 100? And they'll be like, well, that was years ago. I did that when I started. Well, we should be churning that circle 100 all the time. And I'll tell you, David, if I did mine right now, it's not the same 100 people that it was 20 years ago when I started. Sort of like our Christmas card list. It kind of churns over, right? Sure does. Absolutely. So what's our second magic strategy? Now's when I start getting excited because this one's fun. Adjacent selling. Adjacent means a cousin to an industry where you've already had some success. So in my example, if I care used to be my specialty, then the adjacent cousin to that would be, let's say, SebaVision. They sell contact lenses. I didn't know anything about contact lenses because we didn't have that as part of our practice, but it's still a cousin. And then the dominoes start to fall. So SebaVision hears me, then Bausch & Lomb hears me, and then Bausch & Lomb chose me to be on an awards, oh, what do you call it, an incentive plan. In other words, if the optometrist sold X amount of glasses or X amount of contact lenses from Bosch and Lombs, then they went into a drawing. And get this, David, the winner of the drawing got either 
a retreat training program from Lori Guest, or they got a flat screen TV. Now, this was so many years ago that the flat screen TV was new. It was cutting edge. If I'd won the drawing, I would have wanted the television. That's, that's how cool the TV was. And that's exactly what happened. The guy who won, the doctor who won, he picked the TV. But here's the cool thing. My name went out to 43,000 buyers as free publicity. So several of those, many, many of those doctors who received that flyer ended up buying from me. That's the domino effect of adjacent selling. I love that. So you, you mentioned the eye industry. Another one that pops to mind would be like engineering. So if the mechanical engineers love you, maybe the civil engineers and the electronics engineers and all the different engineering associations and specialties and subspecialties. So we could be sitting on an adjacent gold mine if we do adjacent selling. Absolutely. And when you are asked to come in as a workshop leader or maybe a keynoter, take a look and see who the sponsors of that organization, excuse me, the sponsors of that event. Who are those people? And go take a look. Go to the vendor hall. Go from booth to booth and find out if they cared enough to spend all that money to be in the vendor hall. Maybe they care about the same audience that you're speaking to that day. That only makes sense. And we call that that adjacent selling. It is a gold mine. For sure. And then strategy number three. Yes. And I know you're curious about this. Chip and fish. Fish and chips. I love fish and chips. Like in the UK, we have the fish and we have the chips. Delicious. Flip it. It's chip and fish. Are you sure you're ready for this? No, I'm not sure, but but let's try. (laughs) I think you're going to go home and do this. So here you go. I want you to picture that you're walking on a frozen pond, and you have a stick in your hand with a really sharp spear on the end of it, and in the other hand, you've got a fishing pole. And you got to feed the family and what you're going to catch. So you walk along and you're tap, 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 tap with your spear. But the ice is too thick. You can't possibly crack through this thick ice with your spear. Now, this is what a lot of speakers do. They work and they work and they chip and they chip and they chip and they don't make any progress whatsoever. So, so let's think about this for a second. David, what would you do if the ice is so thick where you're at and you can't chip through? What would you do? Get a bigger spear. That's a good one. You know what I'd do? I'd walk to where the thin ice is. I'd walk to where the thinner ice is, and I'd keep going and going until it gets just a little thinner, and I can finally crack through. And then I'm going to put my pole in, and I'm going to try and get out a minnow first. And the minnow then is going to lead to a bigger fish and a bigger fish. So let's put it in the speaking world. I'm going to go back to my circle 100, and from that list, I'm going to pull a woman named Stacy, who worked for me in ophthalmology for five years. She's now the executive director of a local chamber of commerce about 40 miles from my home. Now, we all know that there's not big money generally in speaking to chamber of commerces, but she's in my circle 100. I go to her, and I put the line in the water, knowing I'm going to be able to catch her pretty easily. And I say, Stacy, how about we put this great regional event together, right? Because one chamber is not going to be enough. Let's invite four or five to come, and we'll create this huge event. I will speak for free. You can be the glory on that, but I need to be able to sell from the platform. She says, great. I have my minnow. She's not a big enough fish for me to earn a lot of money, but I have the minnow that goes down into the water. With me? So we're using Stacy as bait. Well, I don't think Stacy would like to be called that, but let's be honest. She's my bait. Okay. All right. All right. I and like I will it. not forward the recording to her because I wouldn't want her to think she's bait because I'm actually doing something really good for her, too. For she sure. She gets to be the hero that pulls this event together. Now, in that event is a man named Brian. He's the CEO of a manufacturing company. I know nothing about manufacturing. My background was in healthcare, But he wants somebody to come in and secret shop his sales managers who are nationwide. So now I have a pretty decent-sized fish. 
I pull him out of the water. I go and do that event, and one of the sales guys that we secret shopped is connected to the HR director of a very well-known technology company, a name you would recognize. And that becomes all three of these things at once. Circle 100 was Stacy. Adjacent selling was moving from healthcare to manufacturing to technology. And it all came because I took a spear and kept going tap, 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 tap. And I didn't let my fee scale stop me from looking for thin ice to provide opportunities. I think if we're really smart, we look for our combination of these three things. It could be something totally different for other listeners, but you've got to have a process for looking for these leads, zeroing in, and capturing them. And that one event turned into a very big fish that I was really proud of that I figured out how to catch. And I think everybody can do this. It just takes some time. So this is way smarter than trying to go after the onesies or just random gigs here and there. If you have a system, and this sounds like kind of a fantastic three-part system, that one thing leads to another, leads to another, and there becomes some method to the madness. There's always a method to the madness if you're good at this. But you have to put the time aside to say, when I go to this next gig, what's my plan going to be? Before, during, and after the event, what am I specifically doing to attract new business? It is not just get in, speak, and go. So I think there has to be a method. You know what I would love to have? I, I would love to hear the scripts. So circle 100, what do I say, what do I send? Adjacent selling, how do I jump from one pond to another and then chip and fish how do I how do I get that going? How do I do that script that you said selling from the stage? I mean, that's where the magic is, is in the language and the scripting, right? That is so where the magic is. I get so excited about this stuff. We could talk all day. We could, but I think this segment's over. So what do we do about the scripting? I'm going to leave that up to you. You're the boss. Whatever you say goes. Will you come back next month? I'd be happy to. Can we, can we duct tape you to a chair and make sure you come back? <laughs> For you, David, yes. All right. Lori Guest, thank you. Have you wanted to elevate yourself from Samo Lamo speaker to being a true connector and resource to your specific target market? Let's hit the bullseye with Joel Block, CSP. All right, Joel, you are a super smart business guy. You know this business forwards, backwards, and upside down. Let's talk about Own the Gate. Let's do it. So first of all, explain the concept for a moment. What is Own the Gate? How does that business model work? And then let's talk about how you've implemented it. Well, uh, first of all, I have, I have one business. I have, a, I have a regular business. And then I've monetized that business into the speaking world by doing seminars. So I'm not a gun for hire I actually own the gate. Uh, I own all the money that comes from all the people that come in. I own all the product sales that come in. It's my seminar. I call the shots. I run the show. And I'm responsible for putting all the butts in the seats at the end of the day. Whether I get help from other people or not, it's my deal. So this is a public seminar model. And tell us how you got started with that and then how it evolved. I wouldn't call it public because it's a rather specialized kind of a deal. And I think many seminars should be more specialized. I just think that specialization is a good thing. But uh, I've been in the venture capital and the hedge fund business for my whole career. That's where I come from. That's what I do all day long is we buy assets and I'm a professional investor. Uh, I got a call uh, in 2008 from a, uh, an executive at one of the large real estate companies in the United States. And the guy said, hey, listen, uh, we found you on the internet. 
can we bring you, uh, you know, to Florida to do a conference for us and show us how to raise money to buy real estate? Because it's complicated. There's laws. It's, you know, you don't just go around asking people. I mean, there's a series of things that have to happen. Could you show us how the pros do it? How does Wall Street uh, make this sort of thing happen? All of our guys want to know. He wires me a bunch of money. He sets up the hotel, does all what he promised that he would do. And I wanted to get in the speaking business. And I, I tried for three years, but I couldn't figure it out. I never made any money uh, doing anything. And this was my break. I was so excited about it. So he uh, wires me the money, gets everything all organized, and I start writing the content. I'm, I'm very excited about doing it. I started selling tickets to people that I knew. And four, five, six weeks before the event, the guy calls me and says, look, I'm really sorry, but we're too busy to uh, promote the event. Keep the money. Hotel's paid for if you want to uh, use it. And he hung up the phone. And I was really bent out of shape because I really wanted to do it. So I hired some internet marketing guys, and we ended up selling uh, 53 tickets at a pretty good price. And we brought the people in the room. The people were just blown away that no one had ever heard anything like this. I mean, I really demonstrated how Wall Street organizes the money, how they organize, organize the revenue streams, what happens. People loved it. And so what ends up happening is that 25% of the people in the room bought a ticket for the next program on the spot because they wanted to hear it again. It's the kind of material that's it's a little heavy. Sometimes people need to hear it again. And, and I said, wow, this, this is something. I thought about it, and I thought, wow, this is really something. I probably have something here. So we organized another one. We made it a little longer. We doubled the price, and we sold out 50 tickets. And now I sell 50 tickets. We do this twice a year. And, and it is, uh, we're going to be doing our 18th program here coming up very shortly. So I love what you said about specificity, niche. It's not a public seminar. I mean, it is public in that your exact target market can come buy a ticket. Yeah. But it's not for every Tom, Dick, Harry, and Jane. No. So talk about when you say there should be more specificity to the seminar business. Let's dig into that for a minute. Well, you know, listen, uh, I wouldn't take out ads on a newspaper. I wouldn't take out uh, ads on TV. I wouldn't go on the radio and just advertise to anybody. That's, you know, if you're selling something for, if you're doing a free thing with an upsell, but these are people that are going to pay a pretty substantial uh, number of dollars to come to a program. They have to be the right people. So I regularly speak to real estate audiences. It could be attorneys, CPAs, it could be real estate brokers. And I'll speak to these guys, and I'll explain it to them, and I'll generally say to the audience, and I've got this technique, it's called the snake charmer. It, it, it gets exactly the right people to raise their hand and come forward and buy a ticket. And what I'll say to them, you know, look, number one, uh, this material isn't for everyone. It's probably for the top 3 or 5% of the people in the room. So immediately the top 3 or 5% of the people start paying extra attention because they, they kind of put themselves in that bucket. The second thing that happens is that as I go through it, I say, listen, if you're not in that thing – then put this on your, your goal sheet for next year. It's a great thing to do. And, and so that way everybody pays attention. I don't lose anybody in the audience. They all pay attention. And, and then at the end of the program, I'll say something like, listen, I have some uh, giveaway. It's a white paper. I have a document. If this spoke to you, then I want you to come up and get that. So that, that's more than 3 to 5% probably. That's all the people who are just interested. That might be a third of the people. And then they go into our drip campaign. That we build our database, go into our drip. So exactly the right people come forward, and that's how we populate our database with just the right people. We don't get everybody. We just get the right people. And, and ultimately, we'll make an offer, and we'll sell seats right from the, uh, from the stage. And that's how we fill up our, our seminars is by – exposing people and finding just the right people. And the reason it's important to find just the right people 
is because at the end of the program, uh, you know, I'll say to the, the group of people, the 50 people, uh, and I've already told them at the beginning of the program that nothing's for sale. It's not a carnival. It's not one of those kind of deals because they paid a lot of money to be there. It's a class. What I'll tell them is at the end of the program, the attorney and I are going to make an offer where we'll help you build your, your fund, or your syndication. We'll show you uh, how to put the whole thing together, and we'll do it with you. Not for you, with you. And we all will do it, and you'll end up with a complete deal, uh, and they'll understand it. And we end up selling, you know, five or eight of those every single time we do a program. They're very, those are very expensive. And so if we don't get the right people in the room, then we're not going to sell five or eight. We're going to sell one or two or maybe less. So it's very important that we get just the right people in the room. It's very important that we sell the tickets to the right people. And, and the other thing is, um, when I'm selling the tickets, I'll say that you have to qualify in. You have to meet a qualification. Now, this isn't like a takeaway where I'm like joking around, getting people to be all nervous, which a lot of marketers do. This is real. It's real in the fact that you have to either be a, a real estate professional licensed in some state or a, or a financial person or you have to have a certain amount of experience. And I document what that is. And, and then, number one, people immediately start selling how great they are to me and why they, they're qualified, which is interesting. It just it turns the tables. But the second thing that it does is it keeps the network incredible. So the people that come have an extraordinary experience, and they're in a room full of people that they're, they're not used to being with, which is just a really high-caliber audience of people. It also, by the way, makes my alumni want to come back to meet the next crop of people that come there. So we have a tremendous uh, network of people that are participating together. And, and all the way around, uh, you know, that qualification system, you know, we've, just, we've kind of figured out along the way lots of different ways to do it. And it all works because we own the gate. So let's talk about that that specificity because I love what you're saying about the alumni, the engagement. And it, you're not just doing seminars and you're not just doing the back end done with you services. You're really becoming a resource. You're becoming a connector. You're becoming a hub yeah. in your industry. So tell us how that starts to benefit you and what that beneficial cycle looks like. Well, after doing three or four of these, I, I looked at our, our register, I looked at our numbers, and I tried to think, you know, uh, number one, how can we go deeper? How can we extract more money from these relationships? What's the next thing that we can do? Uh, sometimes I'll call that get a finger, grab the hand. You know, so you, uh, you know, what else can you do with the people, right? So what do I do is I, uh, I start looking at it and I think, gee, you know, there's a lot of people that came that want to build a fund. Maybe they don't have all the money that it costs to build a fund. Maybe they don't have all the other requirements, but maybe they have some of the requirements. So I put together a mechanism where if they only had some of the requirements, that they could join a group where in collective, uh, you know, all the pieces came together. And there were certain requirements to join the group. They had to pay a fee. And, and if they didn't meet the requirements after a year, they were dropped from the group, which uh, a lot of them were. Some of them survived, and we ended up with a, an interesting and that's still continuing today where we have a group of people that are still together that have uh, that opted into that situation. Uh, another situation came along. Uh, some of the laws in my industry changed in the last uh, couple of years, and we've taken advantage of those. And so the people that have been successful to come through our program, and some have been highly successful, I invited them to join a, a collective company that we have all of us together. And right now there's 58 people that have joined that group. And so everybody's a shareholder in this new company. And, and there's a way for us to make money on every single deal that gets done, uh, you know, by all of us collaborating together. So uh, we just – I constantly ask the question, 
what else can we be doing for these people? How can we monetize this network further? And, you know, you have to look at what you have. You have to look at your assets. I've got a network of people. They're sophisticated. They're, they're accomplished. Uh, they're loyal to me because I've helped them to be successful. And because of all those reasons, uh, you know, when I ask them to do something, they, they come along. I love that because you've got this tribe of people, very specific, very niche. You've, you've really magnetized your business to pull them in. And then the question that sounds like you're asking is, what else do these same people need? So you're going deep. You're not going broad, but it's like, what else do they need? How else can we go deeper? How can we go further? And I love your, your metaphor of grab the finger, take the hand, right? <laughs> so you're super focused. I mean, hyper, hyper, hyper focused on serving these people, medium, large, and it sounds like super size level. Is there a next step? Like what's the next big, super exciting thing that you're working on? that would multiply this either on the high end or is there something that you're kind of democratizing and well, popularizing on the lower end or what else is on your spectrum right now? Well, uh, we, we do have something. It's not on the low end. It's only on the high end. And basically, we're, we're setting up an investment bank to help these people fund their deals. So, you know, there's just it just keeps going higher and higher. The more people we have, the more needs they have, the more needs they have, uh, the more economies of scale we have in solving those problems. And it just opens the door to making more money. So all the way around, uh, you know, they win, we win, and, uh, and everybody's uh, benefited. All right, you crazy kids, what's new in the hallway? Let's hear it. Go, go, go. You and Phil. All right, we're here on a segment of Hallways, Lobbies, and Bars. I'm with Tracy Tim. Tracy, go. Hallways, Lobbies, and Bars. The true value of NSA, I think, is found Hit me. in Hallways, Lobbies, and Bars. And because? Right now we're in a bar. Yes. <laughs> because that's where our relationships get solidified. There's so much you can get out of sessions. There's so much you can get out of listening to other speakers. But at the end of the day, this is all about community. And I know already, just from tonight, getting an intro to your agent is going to be amazing. Talking to Corey about Corey Perlman, by the Corey, way. Corey, hey, hey, Perlman. Yeah, Corey Perlman in the house. Talking to him about social media. Talking to Phil about life and sales. Phil Jones. Say hi. Hi, how are we doing? Perfect. All of those are going to lead somewhere. There was once a time when this presidential segment in the first edition of the new season of VOE was highly anticipated. Because back in the day, it would reveal a vital piece of annual NSA member value, the presidential theme. In fact, just uttering this one-to-five-word pithy phrase could induce a spontaneous standing ovation even if you were listening in your car or at the gym. It was that big of a deal. Now, we should have just retired having themes after 1993. Now, that was when President Naomi Rody gave us the most meaningful theme of all time, the privilege of the platform. I mean, nothing was ever going to top that. But, of course, we kept going. Over the years, there have been inspirational themes like lighting the way and keep it real, playful themes like enjoy the journey and NSA rocks, and incomprehensible themes like expertise to the power of excellence. Still processing that one past President Mark Sanborn. Now, in 2009, the theme was imagine. 
And that John Lennon reference apparently inspired NSA's board to imagine there's no theme lines. It's easy if you try. Yeah, themes were out, and candidly, nobody missed them. Seven years flash by. But then last year, John Molidor becomes president. And during his acceptance speech, he trots out, big brain, big heart, big ideas, bigger business. So I ask him, John, what's going on? I thought everyone agreed, no themes. He says, Brian, it's not a theme. It's a concept. Did I mention John's a psychologist? So I've decided to follow in Dr. John Maldor's path. And now I reveal to you my official non-theme presidential concept acronym. W-S-L-T-C, Wislitzy. Okay. I'm guessing a spontaneous ovation is off the table. No, really, that's, that's what I got. Perhaps we should dig in a little deeper with Wislitzy. NSA exists to provide member value. Now, some value you receive, some value you pursue. Now, the receiving part's easy. Just show up. Read, watch, listen, discuss, be a sponge. But the pursuing part's hard. For that to happen, we need to channel the Spice Girls. Yo, I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. So well, tell me what you want, what you really, really want. So you were, you were concerned I was going to keep going there, but I'm not. Now, it would have been much better if I had just played a clip from the actual Spice Girls song, but I don't have a license for that. Okay, here's how what you just endured with my pathetic singing voice makes sense. The first part of the presidential acronym concept is WIS, the W-S standing for Want Something. To truly improve our speaking craft or business, you have to want to improve in some vital area and know exactly what that improvement should be. Because if your wanting is just big and unfocused, it's not really wanting, it's wishing. And wishes only come true in Disney movies. Actual NSA member value is directly tied to wanting specificity. There's a power in knowing precisely what you want from NSA. You're not sure? Here are 20 different options. Benchmarks to measure your progress by, referrals to vendors who get speakers, professional colleagues, big ego poppers, virtual community, unique access to speaker best practices, a Facebook group to whine about airline experiences to, trusted advisors, website reviewers, friends who don't think you're a freak, potential collaborative business ventures, mastermind members, people to challenge your assumptions, tax advice, trademark advice, marketing strategies, speaker demo video samples, online learning examples, SEO techniques, and a Facebook group to whine about lame hotel views to. And that's just a partial list. There are more. So pick one, pick two, make up new ones, but want something. Something that will actually make a difference in your speaking business. If you don't, you're leaving NSA member value on the table. But if you do know what you want, you can likely get it. By advancing to the next part of the official non-theme presidential concept acronym, LTC, let's see, leverage the community. Whatever you could possibly imagine wanting to know or do, someone in your NSA community has been there, done that. Now think of our NSA community in two ways. By itself, it's one giant, generous, information-gushing community. That alone is great value. But another thing I think NSA does extremely well is enable self-organizing internal communities. It may be NSAXY, Power Women of NSA, Black NSA, Million Dollar Speakers Group, CSPs, CSP Link, Humorist, Mastermind Group, CPAEs, International GSF Colleagues, Facebook Groups that affirm how brilliant we are, or several other groups I've already offended by forgetting to mention them. As a longtime member of NSA, I've discovered that what we perceive as member value often shifts over the years. In the beginning, it's all about education and the speed at which we can get it 
and implement it. We may draw that value from our chapter-level experiences or from national events or both. The value comes from what we receive, but also what we contribute. But the longer we're NSA members, the more value we tend to draw from those self-organized internal NSA communities. The bottom line on this is that when it comes to these affinity and community groups, NSA was the enabler. They couldn't have happened without the mothership, but those groups didn't come together by magic. We had to create them or pursue them, and they continue to evolve. As speakers, we are mostly solopreneurs, but we will rarely be successful as soloists. We need colleagues and community, and NSA is the place to find them. A great leverage of the community practice we can all do is see a speaker. Watch a fellow speaker doing what they really do, not what they tell everyone at NSA that they do. It doesn't matter if we've been a speaker for two years or 20 years. Seeing other pros in action should be a lifelong development practice. Here's how that can work. Probably every week a fellow NSA member comes into your town to speak for a client. And that makes you wonder, wait, why didn't I get that gig? But it also makes you wonder, could I go see them speak? And the answer might be yes. Last year, CPAE Waldo Waldman emailed me that he was coming to Seattle for a gig. He said he had checked with the client and they were okay with several people slipping into the back and watching him. So I reached out to some local NSA Northwest chapter members. We got to see Waldo do his high-powered keynote. And when it was over, we all came back to my house and hung out on our deck. And by Waldo's request, we spent the next four hours discussing and dissecting every aspect of his keynote. It was amazing and amazingly candid because NSAers are all feedback experts in our own minds. And you know what? Waldo got some fantastic value that day. But the rest of us, we got even more. And Waldo took us all out to dinner afterwards. That helped too. Another great leverage the community practice is ask a speaker. We can push each other to improve by asking a fellow speaker this simple question. Is this idea or action bold for me? If their answer is no, dial it up until it is. In our businesses and in NSA, let's make fine be the F word. Let's stop being excited about half measures. Let's go for bold. Your NSA community has your back. So, the 2017-18 official non-theme presidential concept acronym is WSLTC, Wislitzy, Want Something, Leverage the Community. To wrap up, it's time for VOD, Voice of David. That's me sharing my thoughts to help you grow your business, market smarter, and speak more profitably. And welcome to this month's VOD. Each issue, I'll be bringing you a little bit of my own personal insight to help you market, monetize, and maximize your speaking-driven business. This month, I'd like you to think about professional speaker is a skill set and not a job description. I want you to think a little bit further that your job really is not to be a professional speaker at all. It's to be a professional problem solver. So think about all the different modes of delivering your expertise. It's not just about speaking, 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 speaking. It might be speaking, coaching, consulting, training, facilitation, online courses, membership websites, licensing programs, 
certification. It could be sponsorships. It could be a world of investable opportunities that you're not thinking of because when you identify yourself as a professional speaker, you're limiting. Artificially limiting the modes and methods of distributing your expertise. I like to think that we're not really running a speaking business, but we're running a speaking-driven business that has as many revenue streams as you would like to make available for your clients. And guess what? Not all of your clients need a speaker. All of your clients need their problems solved. So if you start to connect your expertise with exactly what your clients and audiences need and want to buy in the way that they need and want to buy them, you will make a lot more impact and a lot more income. Something to think about. All right, that's a wrap for this issue of Voices of Experience. You heard a whole bunch of fantastic ideas, great insights, immediately actionable ideas. And remember, it's not about listening to the ideas. It's not about thinking about the ideas. It's what you do with the ideas that's going to move the needle on your business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.